Hey, what's up, guys? We have a bit of a different format for you today at the Music is Win podcast. And before we get to today's episode, I want to tell you about the sponsor of the show, Audioblocks. Right now, you can get a great discount on an annual subscription to one of the largest royalty-free stock audio libraries in the world. Just go to audioblocks.com slash musiciswin to save on all the high-quality audio, sound clips, loops, effects, and more that you could ever imagine. That's audioblocks, A-U-D-I-O-B-L-O-C-K-S dot com slash musiciswin. So, I am having a virtual chat, if you want to call it that, with my friend Brian Ewald. Brian is an awesome guitar player. You've seen him on my channel at least one time when we talked about what the most beautiful chord was. Maybe you've seen that video. It has over half a million views at this point. And really, every time Brian and I talk about guitar, it's just like the most nerdy, yet the most awesome thing ever. This episode is a little bit different. I actually am going to be releasing two parts to this conversation because we talked for so long and went through so many different things. So I'm going to kind of round our conversation into multiple parts for your viewing and or listening pleasure. Brian is a session guitar player. He does product demonstrations for brands like PRS. He's played on dozens and dozens of albums. He has his own band. He plays live music all the time. He's basically a gunslinger and he is going to reap some knowledge on us all. In this episode, we're gonna be talking all about something that I think is really interesting and a lot of you have asked me questions about. How do I become a professional musician? Specifically, a session musician. How do you kind of go from the bedroom into the studio and become an in-demand guitar player? Well, Brian's gonna answer that for you. I asked him all sorts of questions and I think you're really gonna enjoy it. Every time I talk to Brian, like I mentioned, just like two pals talking shop about guitar. Let's get to the episode. Brian, where are you? You're in Maryland? I'm in Maryland, yeah, right outside of Annapolis, Maryland. So we're both filming ourselves to give you guys a high quality uh, kind of stream and also mic'd up our guitars. Let's see what yours sounds like. That's mine. Well, I've got mine run into a cabinet in the other room here. This is uh, just low gain kind of. That's that, that's that Ewald signature smooth uh, <laughs> kind of thing that you always do. So that's a good uh, kind of intro. I met you, I think, the first time. Did we meet in Germany for the first time? Or I think I met you at NAMM two years ago. Yeah, probably, yeah. I think we met, Bri I don't think we did much. Or maybe, maybe, maybe I think you did. I'm, at NAMM, I do so many booth tours back and forth. It's kind of, you know, it's all a blur. But I do, yeah, I do remember meeting you. And we might have done a quick video of what's right. new for NAM. That's when I was still trying to figure out what NAM was and, and how I right. could contribute to it without just being another camera in the crowd. So yeah. your uh, your official kind of title, I would I would just call you a gunslinger. And then you can kind of define further what your role is with different, because I know you do a lot of different things. Uh, I became... Uh, I was introduced to you because you were working with PRS as a sort of a product specialist type role, but can you kind of elaborate on your different hats that you wear musically? Sure, sure. So um, uh, basically, you know, from since I was about 
18 or so, I've uh, made my living in some fashion with guitar, whether it's uh, teaching or uh, gigging or studio stuff. And then, um, I've had, you know, a few of my own bands here and there, but I've, I've really kind of made my living as a hired gun um, for other people touring and in, in the studio. And then um, the PRS thing kind of started, uh, I don't know, kind of, it ramped up maybe 10 or 12 years ago. I started as a uh, uh, kind of a field tester. They would get me a guitar that would, you know, just to see what I thought, just to kind of kick its tires and take it out on the road. And partially just because I knew so many people over there and I live near the factory and I've known Paul forever and a bunch of the people down there. And yeah. And then, um, and then from that, it was like, hey, come in and film this video. And then, hey, we're doing this clinic. Do you want to come do a clinic? And it just kind of snowballed into this kind of product demonstrator so really, I've I've been an artist with PRS for a, for a while, but um, the whole uh, whatever you want to you know product specialist gig has been uh, the past couple of years has been really busy. It's been awesome, obviously, just uh, really cool to get a chance to play all these you know guitars and amps all day, and uh, uh, mm -hmm. I get to see a lot of things long before they hit the streets, which is a mixed blessing because it's hard to keep my mouth shut about some of them and. Um, and there's some that I've played that I've played prototypes that never saw the light of day. And, but it's kind of, you know, it's, I think if you're going to try to make a living in this, this business, if you're really lucky and you just have a band that writes songs and, you know, is successful doing that and you can tour and all that, you know, that's awesome, but it's, it's rare and it's tough. Um, I think there's a lot more people doing it, doing what I do, where you have to be adaptable and sometimes, uh, bar gigs or wedding gigs sometimes it's a touring gig sometimes it's a, a studio session sometimes it's playing you know tracks for commercials sometimes it's um you know teaching lessons and i mean there's there's so many ways you can do it um I, some of my really good friends who are great guitar players make their living uh on the road as guitar techs you know what's your favorite gig that you've had in recent memory recent memory um that's tough. There's a, I mean, honestly, like my favorite ones, my kids are playing drums now and some other instruments. So I've done a bunch of gigs, like some trio gigs where my, like my son or one of my sons will come out and do a trio gig with me. Uh, we did a gig. There was like a magazine release party that they did an article, um, in a magazine called Upstart, uh, that like a area, you know, arts and music magazine and, uh, did a feature and then playing the, the launch party, I had my boys come up and play a whole bunch of songs with me. That was probably my favorite gig in a long time. It wasn't the biggest place or anything, but um, that's just a blast. Um, uh, and I have a I have a band, uh, one of my own bands that I've been with for 18 years or so. Uh, we put our last album out in 2002. <laughs> nice. Uh, and then we've been playing kind of more bar gigs and whatever, but we're actually putting out a new record in the next couple months. So that's been... Uh, I'm actually playing with them tonight, but uh, a band called Starbelly. Is the recording process for you something that never really 
goes away. I mean, you said you haven't recorded with them in 2002. I assume you've probably recorded other studio sessions since. Yeah, I probably, I probably do. I, I, I think I, at last count, um, I probably played on about with about 25 or 30 different um, acts or artists just in the past like year. Um, so, and some of it's like, I'm putting one guitar solo on a song of somebody that I've never met. Uh, there's some, you know, the beauty of the internet and, you know, obviously what, what you're able to do and uh, all this stuff has opened up a whole nother world for, for music and instruction and even but sessions. So like this, this is where I do 95% of my sessions. I, I've only done a couple where I actually have to pack up my stuff and go anywhere anymore. Um, there's a couple studios in Baltimore that I, I, work in fairly regularly like if they need somebody but for the most part they send me the tracks and I just sit here and I've got my little you know room full of toys and um and sometimes I'm just putting a few little guitar parts down sometimes I'm layering all kinds of instrumentation it really kind of depends but I, I love it like recording is really um a, one of my favorite things to do as a recording musician and a session musician a lot of people I know, I get questions, how, how can I make a career in music? How can I get to this echelon where you are? Uh, do you have any kind of overarching advice? I know it's really hard to pinpoint exact specifics for people because yeah. everybody's situation is different, but what would you recommend for somebody who's maybe in their late teenage years, early 20s, or even later in life? Is there any kind of overarching advice for somebody who wants to kind of have a similar career path as you? So, yeah, that's a good question. Um, as a matter of fact, and, and I'm going to actually be launching kind of my own uh, YouTube thing, which I was I mentioned to you, um, probably just under my own name. I have some videos up just doing some um, pedal demos and a couple things, and but a lot of it's going to gear towards that. It'll gear towards like um, not just uh, the actual engineering side of it, but, uh, you know, writing parts and getting gigs and all that stuff. So I would say if you're young and you're, you're looking to get into this game, a couple things to do is start recording now, like record as much as you can, you know, learn the engineering side of it. Because when I first got into this, it was like home recording was, you know, the difference between a, a home studio and a professional studio was huge. The quality of, you know, consumer mic preamps and mics and, and, and all that stuff just, wasn't really there, you know, and it's like, you, you need to put a serious investment in to get anything, you know, substantial. Nowadays, I mean, you can sit there with a laptop and like a little, like Apollo Twin or something like that and and make crushingly good sounding recordings. Um, but, but just like everything else, you could have the nicest guitar in the world, but that doesn't mean it's gonna, you're gonna get a good guitar sound. It's, it's learning how to use it, right? Same thing. So the more you can record and mess around with mic placements and understanding uh, signal flow and all this stuff, and it's there's obviously YouTube resources and all that stuff out there to help with this, but um, more than anything, you know, the world is getting, you know, there's a million guitar players, and you go, you know, you could go to Berkeley, you could go to, you know, uh, GIT and all this stuff, and you'll meet tons and tons of great players. What really gets work though, it, you know, you can have all the chops in the world. You can be, uh, it's really, I've never gotten hired on a gig because of how fast I play or anything like that. 
you get hired as a as a studio player because you come up with memorable hooky parts that you know elevate the song um and you play to the song you play to support the song as much as possible and not play to the guitar player ego that you go like oh that was a really simple part and it doesn't sound fancy so you're i mean it 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 was tough for me like i fighting the urge to go man i really hear all these things it would be really cool and flashy to play on here but um that's you know a singer a songwriter a producer what they want is somebody to elevate the song not just show off what you can do if you're doing a solo record and it's a guitar record yeah man tear it up right but if you're if you're hired the more you can make the artist feel like what you brought to the table helped like feature them in a in a beautiful light you'll get calls back more than anything like try to find your voice you know what i mean try to find like what makes you you because that's when you become in demand when people hear what a lot of like i've gotten calls for studio stuff because somebody heard a part that i played on a starbelly song like back to date how long ago it was like on the myspace days you know and somebody somebody heard a tra a starbelly track and i played like some george harrison-esque kind of slide part and it wasn't like terribly fancy or anything that somebody couldn't learn fairly easily but there was something about the the part the melodic part sense to it and the tone and this guy was like, that's the kind of thing I'm looking for this thing. And he hired me to play on his record. And that snowballed into two other records through the same producer. Um, and I, I probably played on several records for them and um, had never met them in person until about a couple years ago. Hey guys, quick break to talk about the sponsor of today's show, Audio Blocks. If you are looking for royalty-free music to use in your projects, say you are a YouTuber or you are some sort of content creator where you need music for whatever project you're working on, Audioblocks has one of the largest stock audio libraries in the world. Hundreds of thousands of studio clips, tracks, sound effects, and more updated all the time. Always something fresh for you to go for any type of genre or any type of sound you may be looking for. Audioblocks has got you covered. If you would like a discounted rate on an annual subscription, go to audioblocks.com slash music is win. That's audioblocks. A-U-D-I-O-B-L-O-C-K-S dot com slash music is win. And now back to Brian. So that's um, kind of leading into the next question that I had, which is regarding forging relationships and actually getting your name out there. So kind of yeah. the first parameter that you outlined is just do your homework, be technically proficient, but also know how to serve the song, which is kind of a, an ongoing uh, experience that you'll never truly master. I don't know if anybody really has, but people have come close. Uh, I think the another difficult thing for a lot of people to understand is how to actually, you know, all right, I'm ready to go out into the world. Now what? You know, that type of mentality. Uh, yeah. It sounds like you're sort of hitting on the fact that the more you play and the more you do, and if you're good enough, then you'll get calls back. Is there any other kind of ingredient to that formula? Sure. Well, I would say... The first side is getting your foot in the door, right? That's the hardest thing anywhere. Whether you're talking about gigs, whether you're talking about studio work, if you know whatever town you're in, um, seek out uh, players, seek out songwriters, solo singer songwriters, and and offer, hey, let me play on a couple songs for you. 
Um, and if you can set up a little recording setup to where you can get good sound, say, hey, why don't you come, let me help you record a demo um, and let me play some parts and and pick the people that you really like, the songs that you really like and the play, you know, the, the writers you really like and and that you feel like you could do something, do justice to it and don't charge them. Just try to do it to like build your own resume. And then you will get more work, not based on, you know, a slick website or a fancy, you know, resume. It's people use their ears to hire people. So it's like they're going to hear something you played for this person and go, oh, I like that. Okay, let me call them. So it's like the main thing is get your playing on as many things as possible. If you have your own band, great. And then you can use your own band as a business card. Um, but you know, try to, I, I just, I took a whole bunch of the stuff that I had played on over the years and I created these demo reels. It's just 15 or 20 seconds of a bunch of different songs and put them together. And I just put them up on, on a site. Um, I, I mean, I back had them on MySpace and then later on put them on other things. And, um, you know, if somebody is kind of looking around and you can just send them like a quick business card of here's a bunch of stuff. And if you play on a lot of stuff, you can separate it. Like here's a bunch of stuff I did. That's kind of Americana all country. Here's like some rock stuff I did. Here's some more R and B blue, whatever, you know, you can separate in genre or here's stuff that I did. That's just focusing on guitar solos. Here's what I'm playing. Some rhythm guitar parts. Yeah. That's a good mm -hmm. idea. Like, uh, having, having sort of a headshot gallery, as if you were a model, but for a guitar player, and just having that as a reference for for when you need it at the snap of a finger. I remember I used to do something similar, but instead of saying, "Look at all these projects that I've played on and different people," I didn't have anyone, so I just wrote in as many genres as I could and be like, "Look at this little country ditty that I did. Look at this little you know folk thing. Look at this metal thing," and it was the same kind of. Uh, you know, process where you're required to be well versed. Even if you never do a metal gig, being able to take that out at any given point, I think, is really the staple and, and signature trait of great session players. Is they may be a country guy, but they can shred, or they may be mm -hmm. a, a blues guy, but they can, you know, do insert genre here. People who are deeply you know, into music are into music, even if they play a certain genre and you associate them with like, oh, this is a metal band or, oh, this is a country band. I guarantee you everybody in that band has influences that, that span far greater than what you hear them play on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and, and that all comes out in your playing. I mean, that's part of like, because we're, I mean, if you go from Bach to, to Miles Davis, to the Beach Boys, to Stevie Wonder, to Lamb of God, they're all using the same 12 notes, right? It's like, it's it's fascinating to think that all these sounds can be made with such a limited number of palettes. So it's just like, one thing I do in the studio a lot is to, if you're playing a, an instrumental song and you're creating the melody and all this stuff, that's great. And that's, that's a great practice and a great tool to do. Um, playing to a song with vocals on it, the whole idea is that not playing something that's going to step on the vocals or, you know, or distract from it or, you know, be clutter up behind it and, and thinking like a vocalist, you know, playing your parts so that like it's, it makes sense. Um, that's, I think the best session players, it doesn't matter what your instrument is. 
it's about supporting whatever the feature of that song is, and usually it's the vocals. But the one thing I always do is that if I'm if I'm spending too much time and I feel like it's not happening, it's just not coming together, I stop and I try to come from a whole different headspace. Like uh, I, I purposely start on a different part of the neck or I like from a different scale shape or like get out because otherwise you start playing habits and patterns. So it's like put yourself in a whole nother thing or I pick up a slide or I do something to go, let me come from a whole nother place. But that's why like the much as much as you can record, like sit at home and record all the time. Just like try things out, experiment with sounds, uh, get to know your rig so you know like, especially if you're on the clock somewhere else and you're not sitting in your own studio, that working quick is key because you're on somebody else's dime, you know? So if you go in and can nail, you know, some guitar parts in a, in a short period of time, um, you'll get called back because you're not in there you know, futzing with your pedals. And uh, another big thing, if you're going into the studio with your own band for somebody else, you know, make sure you have, you know, the cables are good. Make sure you're, you're, you've checked your, you know, go through it. If you have a tube amp, tap all the tubes, make sure everything is, you know, keep track of when the last time you put power tubes in, you know, change your strings, bring extra strings, like always be over prepared. Like the last thing you want to be is, on a session where you're sitting there and like there's some crackly noise in your rig because you have a bad patch cable, like, you know, it should go without saying, but especially when you're new to it, like people are so worried about their songs and their parts and stuff in the studio, like making sure your, your gear is, is, um, is square. It seems um, like, a, it, it seems like sometimes I hate to say that you have to have these mistakes happen to you in order to really, uh, grow as a musician because I think they've happened to all of us. Uh, I still remember one time I was on stage, it was the biggest gig that I ever played uh, at the time. It was in like this auditorium with 2,000 people or something. My band won a battle of the bands and uh, we were performing and we went out and all of a sudden, I stomped on a box to get ready for my epic guitar solo. This is like the most cliche, like nightmare you can think of. No sound. And I'm like, oh. no. <laughs> and so what I ended up doing was ripping out whatever from the, uh, from the output of my last pedal on my pedal board and jamming that into my guitar, just complete bone dry and playing this solo that should have been very like distortion delay with some wah and it was just this bone dry version but it came out oh. like this messed up raunchy like black keys thing and it was not supposed to be like that but everyone realized what was going on on the stage and they're like oh man because you know when you see that happen to somebody you kind of get that you feel Your the heart pain stops for them. You're like, so, yeah. And I was, you know, I didn't know how to react because I and I was just very angry. So I was kind of let that happen through. So a little bit different for the studio since you're not in front of a million eyeballs, but the same kind of fight or flight reaction where if you have a gear malfunction, the do the thing that gets you back to home base, whether that means a dialed down, you know. 10% of what you want as opposed to trying to, you know, kind of turtle up. And um, I think some things like that have to just happen to you, even if you are given the information like you're given to prepare. 
But one thing I think that you mentioned that I'll just elaborate on, don't change your strings the day of the session. People, I do. You do it? But I, I change strings. I mean, I used to change strings before every single gig, like before I left for every gig. And I was playing six, seven nights a week. Um, but I just, I mean, I change strings and then I stretch them out. Um, I'll put them on like right that like sitting in the studio at times if I'm if I'm running behind and the drummer's setting up they're getting drum tones and I'll restring I do it all the time I, I know it's but it, it it's you got to know your guitar I feel like I've just changed strings so many times that it's like um I you know I don't really break them in changing them always have a backup set too okay so then I need to ask you about your string change your 30 second overview of string changing so how, how do you, after you get the strings on, do you do them all at once? Do you do one at a time? What's your stretch? I do three and three. Okay. I take off, you know, I take off the bass three, put on, you know, and then put them on. And, um, but I, I'll string one up and then I'll kind of give that a basic stretch and get it up to general tune, the next basic stretch. And then once I have those, I kind of stretch those and get them, do the bottom three. I do that because I have, you know, I mean, all the guitars are different, you know. I mean, there's the way you string a guitar with a Bigsby, the way I string a guitar with a fixed bridge. You know, if you have like the uh, a floating bridge, like on a Bigsby, like where if you take all six strings off, the bridge literally pops off because it's being held down by the string pressure. Um, you know, and then all of a sudden trying to make sure it's in the right spot, putting it back on, and intonation is a pain. So uh, the three and three kind of was because of. Um, you know, and you know, back in my early days when I had guitars with floating trims and Floyds, um, you know, I I might only change one or two at a time because of the constant you know trim going back and forth. But um, right. but three and three is my habit. I'm I'm murder on strings. Just my hands are. Uh, I don't know if it's a, like an acidic, quad, <laughs> but like I can make a set of strings go dead in a gig. And I have friends who will have like five gigs on a set of, and I play it and they sound like brand new, and I'm like. Not me, so um, the I can get ten or twelve gigs out of set of elixirs. So I'm just not. I usually still change in the studio, uh, like prior to it. But it it kind of depends. What's your What's your tuning chord? Tuning chord? Oh well, I do. I I mean, I always start off with just you know open chords to start with. Like the G to me always gives away the hardest strings, like that G and B string that are the hardest to get in tune to me. But then I do these like extended voicings where I have open strings and then something up high so that if there's any intonation issues, it really shows it off there. You know, even just doing like if an open E chord sounds good and then doing an E chord an octave up, but without the bar, um, it'll show off intonation issues. Yeah, that's what I do. I do this. And I have this like raunchy sound because that really kind of makes those, you know, those upper frequencies and the, uh, you know, the overtones really ring out with those open strings. If it's out of tune, say like this, I can hear that rub a lot more than if it is in tune. And it pulls out. I have times where I'm using a certain guitar, like some old weird guitar that I that I use every once in a while for like a really I love the way they sound, but um, they're a pain, you know. And they work 
really well, like, okay, I got to stay in this area or something like this works, but it's, but, but there are times where I'm like, well, I really want to play the solo up here. So I end up having to retune the guitar to work in that area. And I would never do it live or bring that, you know, but, um, I do a lot of weird things in the studio that would probably be a pain in the butt if I had to recreate them live all the time, like some weird tuning that I'm just, I'm going to drop the B string down a whole step just to facilitate like a part, whether it's on slide or some pattern that just sounds really cool the way it is. But if, if you had to like recreate it in standard tuning, it just would be a pain. Um, fortunately, I don't have to recreate most of what I do in the studio live. And I feel sorry sometimes for guitar players in the bands that end up having to do them. And I've had some of them call me and be like, what did you play on this? And I'm like, oh, I was half capoed on this fret. And like, just to get some weird like rhythm guitar part. But I don't always keep good notes too. So that's... That's, I gotta get better about that. That's a, um, th I mean, that's one of the joys of the studio that I think is so, uh, I mean, if you haven't been into a recording studio or, you know, you have a home studio, I have a home studio, this kind of life is so addicting, I think, because you can really be a mad scientist and get these sounds that you never really would have, even, even in a professional studio, I find there's still a little bit of pressure unless you're, you know, on a record label where time is no issue. But uh, I made the mistake of going into a recording studio with a band when I was in college and we literally created this music that was just so overdubbed and over the top. We're like, what if we did this here and this there? And it was like the most fun I've ever had in a recording studio. And then when we went to play live, we're like, oh, wait, how am I going to do these? The only reason this guitar part's cool is because this one's happening over it, but I don't have yeah. four hands. Uh, so something to be conscious of for those, you know, again, coming back to the kind of educational side is when you are creating music, understand what it's going to be used for. If it's for uh, something that you're going to be performing live, try and figure out some alternative to... Uh, to make those parts happen because some of the greatest stuff that I personally have ever written, like what I, what my favorite stuff is, has been things that were layered. And then when I tried to adapt them, it almost turned into a different song when I tried to play it live, uh, which yeah. isn't a bad thing, but it's just, uh, I think it's a testament to how much fun and how, how, you know, we can sometimes get carried away in the studio, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't change any of that. Just something to be aware of. As far as layering in the studio, it's, uh, I will say though, as much as I agree, I love it. And I'm a fan of like, it's so easy to just sit there and keep putting things on it. Cause it's like, well, everything you add, you're like, oh, that's cool. That's awesome. But really, truly the best parts, if something can stand by itself, like you don't want to layer to make something that just sounds blah, interesting, right? Um, if the guitar tone by itself is not like really inspiring and the only way to make it sound good is by doubling it or something, then work on the original guitar tone. Like think of how many great songs and great parts are just really meat and potatoes, right? And then it's just the right part and the right tone uh, can say a lot. So if you can say more with less, try to do it. Well, I hope you enjoyed that little chat. 
I told you we would get pretty far into the weeds on a lot of different subjects, primarily centered around studio musicianship and what it takes to really get your foot in the door and make a name for yourself. I thought this was a really useful and enlightening conversation with Brian. Again, I mentioned there's two parts to this conversation, so that was all the studio musician side of things that maybe you were interested in and I highly recommend you maybe listen to that one twice because there's a lot of information and it's a really valuable pieces of wisdom that you should take into consideration. So stay tuned later this week for another Music Is Win podcast with Brian. The second half of the conversation, we talk more about guitar playing, things of that nature. So until then, keep shredding. So handsome.